0: Alrighty, uh, let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 20. Ezra chapter 8 verses 15 through 20. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jareb, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight. And I sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place, Casiphia, telling them what to say uh, to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casiphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and kinsmen, 18. And Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah of of the sons of Merari, and his kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites, these were all mentioned by name. Let's pray. Our Father, please open Your Word to us today. Let us hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Exalt Your Word. Exalt Your message. And God, may Jesus Christ be glorified in our midst today. For it is in His Holy name we pray. Amen. A few weeks ago, my family and I took a short camping vacation to northeast Mississippi. A few nights of sleeping in a tent, hiking, and general relaxation by the campfire. But for anybody, particularly parents, who has taken an extended trip, what is the most tedious part of the trip? Packing. Making sure you will have everything that you need And then making sure that everything you need will fit in the vehicle that you're taking. For anything worth doing, there is a lot of preparation involved. To cook a meal, the ingredients have to be bought and then prepared for cooking. Then they have to be cooked and then delivered to the table. And when you're hungry, you just want to dive into the eating part of it, don't you? Has anybody ever said something like this? I don't feel like preparing a meal tonight. I don't feel like cooking tonight. Can we just order takeout? The time required for preparation is sometimes just too much for us to put up with. Preparation, even when it leads to what we want, can really be tedious for us. We might even feel sometimes like we're wasting time in preparation when we could just get on with it. Just let's go. Has anybody ever here impatient to get going even if we're not sure everything is there? Has anybody ever made the mistake of leaving something behind? See, today we'll begin to see Ezra's preparation Of the obedient Jews who were returning to God's by God's command to the Promised Land, and I don't think I can say it better than one commentator who said, "Preparation time is not lost time." There's a form of faith, and it's most often false, that rejects preparation as a faithless exercise in itself. It sounds really holy using phrases that sound just like faith. For example, they say, let go and let God. Or they say, God will work it out. Now this assurance can be great comfort when you're faced with situations and circumstances that are beyond your control. But this statement is patently unfaithless when it is used to justify your own lack of effort in the cause of Christ? How many people have been lured into a lazy form of selfish belief, trusting God's ability to do things without us? Things that we have not allowed ourselves to be prepared for. Thinking that we did not need to proclaim the gospel to the lost, or lift a finger in God's cause. It is faithless because it is as if we were saved only for our comfort. Another example that you might hear, God will provide. In those situations where our needs outstrip our ordinary means of provision, we can rely on God to provide for our needs. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 25, says, I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. Or His children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and His children become a blessing. But even when we quote this phrase, God will provide, quoting Abraham as he climbed the mountain with Isaac, God will provide for Himself a lamb. This can even be a masquerade posing as faith when we simply demonstrate ourselves too lazy to bother with preparation. Phrases like these may be true and correct in some situations, but may be heresy, laziness, and faithless disobedience in others. And in this 8th chapter of Ezra, we see Ezra preparing in three ways I would like for us to look at today. They're all important, but not necessarily of equal importance in all situations. The first that we'll look at are the material and the logistic preparations. The second are the spiritual preparations. And the third and the primary focus of our text today are the preparations of people. In Ezra chapter 8 verses 24 through 30, that's what we'll get there in a few weeks. We see some of the preparations Ezra made to carry the gifts and the offerings on the journey to Jerusalem. These certainly were not the only logistical considerations made. They had probably 4 to 5,000 people to provide for along the way to Jerusalem. A journey of four months, each with belongings and children and other items of value to them. And one of the primary reasons to gather at the Ahava Canal would be to allow these people to gather provisions for that four and a half month journey. To prepare themselves for the journey that was ahead of them. The accounting Ezra gives us in verses 24 to 30, or for the items that have been entrusted into his care to be delivered to the temple at Jerusalem. We likewise are responsible for the financial and material preparations to be obedient to God. We see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, the command let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I think that is a beautiful verse. He could have very easily said, let the thief not steal because it's opposed to the law of God. He could have said that. It would have been entirely true. He could have said it violates the eighth commandment that God gave us of the ten. Do not steal. He could have said that. But instead... Rather than simply referencing the law, he calls upon the law of love and he says so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so you ask Paul in this this letter to the Ephesians, why don't we steal from others? And his answer is because our lives are about giving to others, not taking away from them. Because at its heart the love of God is has been placed inside His people and it is more concerned about others than about themselves. And that's why we plan with the resources that we have been given. It's why we budget. It's why we live frugally. It explains why we do all these things so that we can meet the needs of others when they arrive they'll know we are Christians by our love, is not just a song we sing. It is a description of the preparation that we make to be loving toward one another. When James was casting about for the most, most faithless act he could think of, he said, Which of you, when a brother shows up, hungry and naked, says to Him, Go in peace, and then prays for them, Be filled and clothed. He uses that to describe faith without works. He couldn't imagine anybody doing that. Because the body of Christ is preparing to care for those in need. Paul explains this also when he sends a letter and a delegation to the Corinthians urging them to prepare the offering that they had agreed to give on behalf of the believers in Jerusalem that were having difficult times. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, he says, I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift not as an exaction. He didn't want to come to him and say, this is what you promised to do. He came and said, I'm sending these people ahead of me so that you may be prepared to give cheerfully and generously. And so the first thing we see in Ezra chapter 8 is a preparation of the material things for the journey. The second area of preparation we see in this chapter is the area of spiritual preparation. We'll have much more to look at when we reach this passage in a couple of weeks, but I felt like it was important to mention it in, in this context this morning. Because in verses 21-23, through 23, we see Ezra's declaration of fasting and praying in anticipation of the journey to come and the difficulties they might meet on the road. Many people feel like spiritual preparation is the exclusive province of preachers or ministers. Something that those who have been called to proclaim the Word of God need to practice. But spiritual preparation is for every single follower of Christ. Every single follower of Christ is living in a spiritual battlefield. Every single follower of Christ is having to fight against the same temptations. I recall the statement by Martin Luther who said, I have so much to do today that I must spend the first three hours in prayer. How many of us, when, we've had a, when we have a challenging day ahead would rather shortchange our time in prayer or in God's Word. Maybe not even a challenging day. Maybe we just want a bit more sleep or a bit more time for ourselves. I can give you this testimony. I have never heard anyone say they regretted the time they spent in prayer or in the study of God's Word. Never. What kind of daily preparation do you have for facing this world that is hostile to God? How do you prepare to meet the temptations that are inevitably coming your way? What kind of effort are you putting forth to follow Christ and to be more like Him? Philippians 2 verses 12 and following say this, Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Are you devoting yourself to spiritual preparation, knowing that it is God who works in you? Too many people who call themselves Christians feel like they are spiritual enough. That going to church or praying occasionally is all they really need. Too many church members are afraid of becoming Jesus freaks. But the real problem of the church is there aren't enough Jesus freaks in them. There aren't enough people who are willing to spend the time and the effort to prepare themselves spiritually. There are too many who are reluctant to examine their behaviors and their motives to make sure it is God who is willing inside them and is working inside them. There aren't enough who realize that they are soldiers enlisted in God's ranks. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.4 says no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. What effective or obedient soldier is there who does not regularly train to be their best? A David does not rise up without hours and days in the contemplation of God in the middle of His creation, even as he watched the sheep and he realized that the Lord is His shepherd. Paul, though he was called by God in a dramatic way on the road to Damascus, spent three years in preparation in the desert of Arabia learning what it meant to follow Christ before he ever went on a missionary journey. Our problem is that we don't aspire to be a David or to be a Paul. We think we can't do that. We think that that is way beyond us. And so we don't even try. We don't try for spiritual growth. We don't try to prepare We just don't want to put forth the effort. God is powerful, yes, but that doesn't remove our responsibility to prepare ourselves for the spiritual battles of this world. Finally, the final preparation that we see Ezra making is is in our text today. He makes sure that they have the right people along. He made the call to all the Jews. Remember, uh, King Artaxerxes put out a letter and said, Anybody that wants to go back with Ezra is free to go. You're no longer in exile. It is your choice. And almost 1,500 men, along with their families, answered the call. But here by the Ahava Canal, he realized that no Levites had answered the call. Not a single one. Nowadays, we might just take off without them. You kind of wonder why Ezra didn't. All the time thinking to ourselves, what do they want? An engraved invitation? Why do they have to be special? Why do I have to send people to go and retrieve them? Why do I have to talk them into the journey? When these 1,500 people have left everything behind and met on the appointed day and the appointed place. Those Levites heard the same call that the 1,500 heard and this multitude showed up while the Levites stayed away in droves. You can easily imagine them saying, why should we hold up our journey just to reach out to some slowpokes? If God is calling them, let them catch up. A lot of com- commenters, commentators, ink, commenters, commentators, comment, commentary writers, let's call it that. A lot of ink has been used explaining the importance of the Levites to the temple that they were the ones who organized and ordered the operations of the temple. The priests, the special descendants of Levi through Aaron, completed the sacrifices and led the people in worship. But the Levites were the ones who assisted the priests in doing their duties. And incidentally, below them were the temple servants, who were basically slaves of the temple, who would perform the most menial work, chopping the wood, skinning the sacrifices. They were the Levites' servants. But I'm not sure that that matters. I'm not sure, based on this passage, that the importance of the Levites to temple worship was the reason Ezra sent this impressive delegation to bring them. It just seems too utilitarian. It seems too much like Ezra just wants what he can get out of them. And I don't think that's Ezra's point at all. If that was what he wanted, he could have sent a letter. If that was what he truly wanted, if he just wanted some Levites to show up, he could have sent a couple guys to go and recruit who they could. God's hand would still have been on them. But instead, he sent a delegation to what is called the place at Cassiphia. It, prob- it possibly could have been the first synagogue. It certainly was an area where the Levites and their servants had been gathered for quite a while. Nine leaders, two very wise men by Ezra's estimation, were sent to one particular leader in Casiphia, And his name was Ido. And in the final phrase of today's text, we see that each one of those who came, including the 220 temple servants, were mentioned by name. Ezra knew who he wanted to go. They were requested by name, From Iddo. And to be clear, we're not even sure where Cassiphia was. We don't know where Ahava was either. It was somewhere in Babylonia, but that's as close as we can get. But here in Cassiphia, the Levites, rather than being servants in the temple, had become the masters over the temple servants who had not been freed by their change of location or the lack of a temple. To serve. But if we look at the reason that no Levites showed up for the muster at Ahava, everything here puts the responsibility squarely on one man. Ido himself. The delegation that Ezra sent was not to simply shout out, y'all come. The delegation that was sent was meant to overcome the objections of the leader of Casiphia, and that is Ido himself. The message that Ezra personally crafted for Ido was for him. And it says they proclaimed it to him in front of everybody. And 41 Levites and 220 temple servants answered the call. There is one last thing to look at here, though. These 261 men and their families were so ready to go. They had everything ready to begin the journey only seven days later. How many of you even plan a vacation seven days out? We're going on one over Thanksgiving. My wife has been planning it since August. It wasn't a month that they had to prepare. It wasn't even two weeks. Ezra 7 9 tells us that they got to Ahava on the first day of the first month. It says in 815 that they camped for three days before they sent the delegation to Cassifia. And it tells us in 831 that they left on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. You do the math. Those Levites and those temple servants had seven days. And so you may ask, why were they ready to leave so soon? I believe that they were ready before the delegation ever arrived. but they were hindered by something or someone. I think his name was Ido they were ready to go. So why go into all that? Why does that matter to us? The problem is we're very quick to write off people when they don't do what we think that they should do. When they aren't as quick to respond or as excited about the possibilities when all the time God may have every intention for you to make the extra effort to bring somebody along. There are too many of us who would have looked and said, well, if if Ido wants to rob them of this blessing, there's nothing we can do about it. Ezra said, I'm going to use every bit of influence. I'm going to use every bit of persuasion I can to convince Ido to let these people go. He didn't bring them along because of what they could do for him. He brought them along because God wanted them along. I think Paul actually learned that message, that lesson in the pages of Scripture itself. We see in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 39. One of the it's one of the passages that really makes us nervous when we read it. It says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pathilia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. just kind of makes your blood run cold, doesn't it? But the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey might say, is that this same mark is mentioned in the ending greetings from the letters written early from Paul's Roman imprisonment. You see his name at the end of Colossians. You see his name at the end of Philemon. And in his last letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 11, he makes this request to Timothy. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. I need the very one I had argued to leave behind. Ezra went after the ones who would have been left behind. Who is God wanting you to bring along with you? Who is He leading you to train as a disciple as a follower of Jesus Christ? Who is He leading you to encourage in their obedience? The gospel of Jesus Christ is carried person to person as we proclaim the good news and we teach people about following Jesus. Let us pray that God would open our eyes And we would never leave anyone behind. Let's pray. Our Father, give us hearts of compassion. Give us eyes that wisely assess the situation. Ezra knew that there were men and women and children who were ready and willing to go. And yet were prevented. And so He became the one to go and cry out, let my people go. Father, give us that kind of courage when we are faced with the same situations. Help us to free people from the shackles that may even be of their own making. Let the words of your gospel set them free. For it is in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.